This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Jenny. And we're going to be talking new releases, recent arrivals, mostly recent arrivals, it looks like. Yeah. So, what's first on our list? Well, we got a bunch of space-themed science fiction in, so we can start there. (laughs) Mm. We like space. It makes you feel feel like you're in the science fiction zone, even if it's not so much. And, yeah, Star Wars is the first one, right? Yeah, this is one of the Random House titles that just came out on their April list, Into the Void, Star Wars, Dawn of the Jedi. Hmm. So it's one of those standalone tie-in. It's a standalone tie-in to the successful comic book series. Oh. I didn't know there was a comic book series. There's a lot. I mean, recent one. Huh. There's a lot of Star Wars comic books. Well, there used to be, but I I, I guess my comic book store doesn't stock them. So I don't notice them if they're there. It doesn't have a date. uh, Sorry, not a date, a, a length. Yeah, I don't have that information because this is like the pre-release list from them. Um, But the story takes place thousands of years before the time of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader on the remote world. Tython? Tython, I guess. (laughs) Come on, Star Wars people. (laughs) Ancient philosophers and scientists share their mystical knowledge and study the ways of the Force. Establish an order of the Jedi. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder what that evolve into. Hmm. hmm. Which in years to come will be the Jedi. Oh, thank you for explaining that. It's a prequel. <laughs> but first, these visitors from so many planets must colonize a dangerous new homeworld and surmount societal conflicts as the burgeoning Rakatan Empire prepares to conquer the known galaxy. Uh, narrated by January Lavoy. That's an interesting name. Not somebody I've heard of before. Okay, well, um, do we have a Star Wars reviewer? Scott likes them, but he he's not... I was trying to remember who did the last one. I think that might uh, have been Seek Scott. or whatever his real name is. Skeet? S-E-A-K on Goodreads, but his real name is something else. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, we haven't asked our reviewers if they're interested yet, so I'm sure we'll get some people. Okie dokie. Uh, next up. Invincible, and it's from this grouping called The Lost Fleet Beyond the Frontier. We've had one of these before um, by Jack Campbell from Brilliance Audio. Of course, this was on Audible last year, so we've just gotten it in in physical form. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a long description. I'll just read the first part. Admiral John Blackjack Geary earned his rank after being revived from cryogenic sleep to lead the Alliance to victory against the Syndicate Worlds, but his superiors question his loyalty to the regime. Now in command of the First Fleet, Geary is tasked with exploring the frontier beyond Syndic space, a mission he fears deliberately puts the fleet and himself in harm's way. And then there's encounters with aliens, so we don't want to leave that part out. Uh, it seems to be uh, he's a fast writer or this is like a series that just keeps going and going uh, 
to audio because I've seen the Jack Campbell Lost Fleet series. Um, at least there's six books, I think. It's pretty... Uh, this might be a second follow-up trilogy. Yeah, because this is the Beyond the Frontier. It's the right. Lost Fleet colon Beyond the Frontier set. So right. I think it is a second grouping. Yeah, the Lost Fleet was the first series, and Beyond the Frontier is the new series. Ah, I gotcha. But with the same characters, at least, or related? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I, I rely on you for, the, for these things, Tam. <laughs> I know. You're the guy who's in the bookstore every night looking for these details. Yes. It's military sci-fi, and Steve Gibson likes it. That's all, okay. I, that's all I know. Uh, and you like Steve Gibson, so... Yes. Uh, of the Security Now podcast, sometimes he talks about science fiction. Oh. Star Force Series 1, Swarm. We have two books from this series, actually, Swarm oh. and Extinction, um, both by B.V. Larson and performed by Mark Boyett, both from Brilliance Audio, so I just grouped them together. Mm-hmm. Um... Earth arms Marines with alien technology and builds its first battle fleet. Kyle Riggs is snatched by an alien spacecraft sometime after midnight. The ship is testing everyone. It catches and mur- it, it everyone it catches and murdering the weak. Hmm? That grammar's very strange. No, the, the ship is murdering. The ship is testing everyone it catches and murdering the weak. I got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The good news is that Kyle keeps passing tests and staying alive. The bad news is the aliens who sent the ship are the nicest ones out there. <laughs> it sounds like a video game. Yeah. Doesn't it? And by the it second book, they're turtle. referring to them as the Star Force Marines and uh-huh. nanoships. So we must pick up some lingo in that first book. Oh, interesting. Sounds exciting. The other book we've had recently by the same author was more of um like a post-apocalyptic type book. So this seems like a different direction than that. I know Terp Kristen reviewed that one. Hmm. Well, maybe she'll be interested in this. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I noticed um, that when Audible's doing books now, they just, they basically buy someone's catalog and they just all come out at once. I was looking at uh, James P. Hogan's, we, we talked about him last time, I think. And uh, all, almost everything that he wrote, I think, is now an audiobook. But it, it it came out like all of them in the space of a couple months at, mo- at most. Maybe a couple weeks is more like it. It's kind of nice. It's like watching a TV series on Netflix. <laughs> suddenly, yeah, it's like, holy cow, so, some some whole giant thing you didn't think would ever be an audiobook is suddenly an audiobook. Yeah, and then if you're into it, you can just keep listening. Oh, yeah, I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Nosferatu, Area 51. I think we've done some Area 51 stuff before. I think we've had seven. But I came across something really interesting this time around. I think these books have been published twice under two different author names. Oh, really? Yeah, it it's strange. Because now they're coming out by Bob Mayer, but originally they came out by Robert Doherty. I imagine it's the same person. That is odd. But it's really strange because the description is exactly the same. Huh. I'm not really sure the story behind that one. Maybe he's like changed his name. Maybe. Maybe it was originally a pseudonym, but now they're gonna use his other name or something. Yeah, is Bob Mayer known for anything else? I should have looked it up. I, 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 I never heard of him. 
because they use the name almost bigger than the title of the book. That yeah. usually means that he's a known person. He isn't known to me, but I'm not really a military sci-fi girl. So. Well, I'm looking at his Amazon listings, and there is a lot of Bob Mayer stuff here, but it's almost all regular military rather than, uh, I guess, quasi-science uh, fiction, what do we call it, military SF? Well, they must be assuming that the same people would want to listen to it then. That makes Maybe, sense. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of books here by uh, Bob Mayer, but it might be that, you know, it's already confusing. Um, so, uh, who knows what the explanation is? So, the new name is Bob Mayer. Uh, sorry, Mayer. Mm-hmm. But the old name was what? Robert, Robert Doherty. Robert Doherty. Yeah. Maybe it's like his name is Bob Ro- uh, Robert Doherty Mayer or Mayer, something like that, and he's just. Um, settling on his name, you know, how uh, Richard K. Morgan is Richard K. Morgan in North America, but he's Richard Morgan hmm. in in the UK. And um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and John Wyndham, uh, he used to write under a name that you wouldn't recognize as John Wyndham. So, it, it, people don't always, or, you know, sometimes actors like uh, Ricky Schroeder, <laughs> you know. Maybe, it's no longer Ricky. Maybe it's like hmm. Richard Bachman and Stephen King. Uh, well, I think that's, yeah, but we don't know. Yeah, we're guessing. We don't know. The half-breed known as Nosferatu has existed since ancient Egyptian times as part of a group of bioengineered beings that served the old gods. But those gods are no more eradicated by human efforts, so now Nosferatu schemes to thrust himself into the resulting power vacuum. In order to achieve this, he requires a piece of leftover alien technology known as... The Holy Grail. Hmm. It sounds like we're right in the middle of a of a long running story. Yeah. Well, and one of our reviewers has, I think, the previous seven of these, and there's one wow. one review already written about one of them. So I'll post that pretty soon. Hopefully, that person uh, is dying to love this. I know. <laughs> the big pile of seven audiobooks. Well, they're all wow. pretty short, and oh, so good. I mean, they they go quickly. That's good. Yeah. Maybe they and know it, about the author's name. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good thing to see in the review. Yeah. All right. Okay, so the next one I have on the list is World War Z. Now, we have talked about World War Z five oh my years God. ago, six years yeah. ago. I mean, but this is, um, and I will link to the original review that we posted in 2007, um, but this one is called the complete edition because there are five hours of newly recorded content on there. Um, so this looks like it may be some kind of crossover with the movie that's going to be coming yeah. out. Um, but it might be worth a listen if you're really into the World War Z universe. This one's also a Random House title. Yeah. Um, have you guys seen the trailer for that movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something weird going on in, like... It, I guess that's what the movie's going to be like, but that's not, I haven't read the book, but that's not what I imagined the book was like. Well, I don't think you I could think, just transfer the book directly no, to film. It's so. a bunch of oral histories. But you could have like, you could do it like, you know, sitting down with survivors and having them <laughs> uh, reminisce about the time they survived the zombie attack. Right. But that's not as exciting as showing the zombie. I attack, guess that's probably. right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and I think um, 
I tried reading it in print once, but I think the audio is just a better, better, I don't know, way to quote unquote read it because it's mm-hmm. supposed to be oral histories. So hearing it told is better than reading it. So seeing it will be interesting. I don't know what will happen. It's, but did you see who's in the uh, the the added content? The it's like they really picked a, a sort of a diverse group of people. Um, maybe they're all in the movie or something that that would make sense. That's but what I assumed, but I'm not sure if that's true. I have a feeling that that's not the case, right? Nathan so, Fillion, seen the movie? Yeah, Nathan Fillion, right? Um, uh, all the members and cast of Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, and Heroes. Members what? of, not all the members. Okay, okay, okay. And the members of. Um, Alfred I, Molina. Yeah, si- Simon Pegg. <sighs> Common, uh, who uh, is a rapper. Martin and Scorsese. And Frank Garafont <laughs> from The Walking Dead uh, TV show. Yeah, it should be interesting. Very strange. I mean, this is like uh, Max Brooks has his... Uh, has. Uh, you know, an extensive black book. He can just knock on the doors of his neighbors and say, "Hey, want to narrate an audio book?" <laughs> it might be, um, it might be like uh, just. I, I haven't heard the book, but this might be the one that I want to listen to, just because he's got a good sense of humor, right? Uh, Max Brooks does. I've seen him interviewed. So if it's if it's a, sort of a a funny rye book, I think with all these diverse people, it might be. Uh, one of those, like, um, there's a style of movie from the 1970s where they got a whole bunch of celebrities, you know, and the movies are always terrible, but they're always fun to see. Hey, look, it's him. Yeah, it's kind of like We Are the World. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, We Are the World of audio. <laughs> yeah, and that's not the only full cast um, recording we have on here. We got Titanium Rain, episode one, which is yeah. an adaptation. Oh, nice segue. Of, uh, yeah, a graphic novel by Josh Finney. It's only one disc. I've not seen the novel. I've heard the, um, the audio book, or sorry, the audio drama. Um, I don't like the writing on it. The, uh, the problem is, is it sounds really good. And just the writing makes, like, I have to ask, and why are these guys doing this in China? So... I'm not a big fan of the uh, the writing style, but I, I agree that the audio sounds really pretty, really, really pretty. Yeah, it's, it's full full cast um, with you know full sound effects, and it it sounds like it's graphically rich. But right, the writing doesn't do it for me. There's a high production value too. There's like even a preview video of the audiobook on the website, and it's the only thing I've ever gotten from this particular group. It's glitch work, but then the publisher is known as Audio Zero com- One Publishing. Oh, okay. Yeah, Audio Comics. There's all these different names related mm. to it. So it should be interesting. It's the first one I've seen from there. Well, hopefully somebody's going to love it. it uh, you know, I think that it's just like Military SF. It's not designed for me. And this is actually Military SF. It's just Military SF on Earth, mm-hmm. not Military SF uh, with, you know, space aliens. It's Military SF uh, in the future of Earth. Yeah, like biotech and it's not that far in the future so it's only 2031 yeah mm-hmm. uh, now the next one Fast Times at Fairmont High I think I've read that that's where uh, that. Rainbow Zen oh. came from oh that's why it sounds so familiar <laughs> yeah the is. character names looked very familiar to me <laughs> which we did a read-along read of yeah, we, yeah 
that, that I think we were all in on that one, weren't mm-hmm. we? Yes. Yeah, and, and Eric Rapkin. And Eric, yeah. This one's only three hours, so this must be the. Short well, this is the short version. Mm-hmm. Yes. In in the near future, when wireless minds link and wearable computers blur, the line between artificial reality and real reality, uh, it's a final exam time at San Diego's Fairmont Junior High. Juan Orozco and his friends have a killer idea for their offline project. But can a bunch of 13-year-olds really figure out the secret of what's going on at Torrey Pines Park? Now, this sounds like it's similar to stuff that happens in the book, but I don't think it's in the book, is it? No, by Rainbow's End, aren't they in high school? I think they are. So this must be, you know, like a precursor to that. Yeah. But I really Um, enjoyed Rainbow's End, so I'd probably like it. I think it was especially good in the the discussion of it because a lot of stuff came up. But even this year, I, we did that one last year, was it? Or 2011? It's hard to remember. Yeah, sometime like that. Um, but, you know, like with Google Glass coming, um, we're, we're even farther down that rabbit hole, you know? We're, we're headed towards uh, that not being very, uh, very different from our reality, mm-hmm. I think. Future shock. Yeah. Dear man. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okie dokie. What's next? Um, well, I have one grouped by itself because I didn't really know how to categorize it. It's really more I of like a thriller. I called yeah. it Mysterious Island, but it's actually one of, sometimes we get books in print. Um, mm-hmm. So this one is Island 731 by Jeremy Robinson from Thomas Dunn Books. St. Martin's Press, they're the same thing. When you when you say books in print, you mean a paper book, right? Paper, yes. <laughs> yes, the strange object. <laughs> now, I think I posted a YouTube trailer for this um, when it came out as a paper book. So it must not be brand new, is it? Or maybe it was like coming soon or something. I think his next book is out, so they're uh-huh. using this one to promote the next one. Because we had an well, email about the second book, too. Uh-huh, right. Okay, so I thought that the premise on this was pretty interesting. I mean, it it seems like one of the, you know, Scott Sigler-style thrillers, um, if you guys are familiar with those. Yep. Um, I read it it made me think of Lost, too. That's Yeah, a little <laughs> bit like Lost, a little bit. Um, but what I, I really liked about the... The added spin is that it's it's based on this horrible um, fact of history that the Japanese were really horrible um, experimenters during World War II, um, in the same way that the the Nazis were, except possibly even worse, which is hard to imagine. Um, and so that that line of it's the island of Doctor Moreau, you know, mm-hmm. which. We also did that as a podcast discussion um, and a, as an audiobook too. Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, it might be gruesome enough <laughs> that you, you'd be afraid to read it, but sometimes those are the books you should read, the ones you're afraid to read. Be afraid. Oh. I am. What's the, what's the official description on this? 
Um, Mark Hawkins, former park ranger and expert tracker, is out of his element working on board the Magellan, a research vessel studying the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But his work is interrupted when, surrounded by 30 miles of refuse, the ship and its high-tech systems are plagued by a series of strange malfunctions and the crew is battered by a raging storm. When the storm fades and the sun rises, the beaten crew awakens to find themselves anchored in the protective cove of a tropical island, and no one knows how they got there. Mm-hmm. Even worse, the ship has been sabotaged, two crewmen are dead, and a third is missing. Hawkins spots signs of the missing man on shore and leads a small team to bring him back. But they quickly discover evidence of a brutal history left behind by the island's former occupants, Unit 731, Japan's ruthless World War II human experimentation program. And then crew members start to disappear, mm-hmm. and they realize they're not alone. <laughs> so. mm. And the person taking his crewmates may not be a person at all. Mm. So there is a mm-hmm. fantastical mm-hmm. element. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Hopefully it's not a smoke monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, What's you know, that? it sounds good. It sounds good. I, I, I would, uh, you know, it's the kind of book like if you're, uh, just about to hop on an airplane, you you sort of want to grab it, but you're kind of afraid to read it because. But if your airplane goes down, you know. Yeah, it's perfect. But yeah, I, uh, it's been a while since I read a good techno thriller. So, um, if it wasn't, uh, I'm going to wait for the audiobook uh, because I don't do print books unless they're very very thin volumes. Yeah. And I I don't think this is super thin, is it? No, it's not too bad, but it's probably a good 300 350 pages. I'm looking forward to the audiobook on that one. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. I, I heard an interview with him on uh, SF Signals, so I think he's oh. kind of like Michael Crichton. Like, there's usually like yeah. weird uh, apocalyptic things or dinosaurs or other mm. kind of stuff. So it might interest people that read science fiction or fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I never actually read him though. I'm gonna have to track down that interview. Okie dokie. What's up next? Uh, we have one under the time travel category called The Far Time Incident by Neva Maskalovich, I guess, performed by Mary Robinette Kowal. I always say her name wrong. I'm sorry. Um, It's eight. Got it right, I think. Okay, good. It's eight discs, so not too long. I haven't heard of this author before. Um, But it says, thanks to the time... Translation, maybe. Sorry. It's all right. Thanks to the time travel lab at St. Geneva University, history is no longer a mystery. Oh, little rhyme. (laughs) But when the beloved co-inventor of the university's time machine is inexplicably smeared across time, academic exploration in the future of St. Seneva is thrown into doubt. So they go looking for the professor, and at the very end of the description says, from the snow-blanketed walkways of St. Seneva's campus to the sun-bleached cobblestone of ancient Pompeii's roads, the far-time incident is a lively romp through history, science, and the academic world in the wake of a crime. Sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I've read both of the Connie Willis, the most recent one, the Blackout All Clear. There's right. some, it sounds like some similarities with that, but just they're not time traveling to the same places. Yeah. Now, St. Seneva, uh, Seneva was a patron saint of the Norwegian. Uh, diocese of Bjorgvin, uh as well as Western Norway. So uh, I have a feeling that this is a Norwegian novel. Does that make sense from the name? Yeah, and I'm looking at the author because I don't know. All of a sudden, the name is in pink on my 
stuck. Yeah. Because I, I selected it. <laughs> scary. Yeah. Let's see what it says about her. Oh, no. She spent her... <laughs> she grew up in communist Yugoslavia. She originally spoke Serbian, but she has studied electrical engineering at Stanford University's Star Lab. She has her PhD from there. So yeah. I imagine this wasn't... It didn't ever say it was translated anywhere. So she must oh. have written it in English. It's interesting. But that would be a different perspective, <laughs> not just yeah. a... Maybe it's more scientific. Um, there's some um, uh, Mary Robinette Cole's blog has a little write up on it here. I'll just read it. Uh, one of the audiobooks I narrated recently was The Far Time Incident by Nevi Maslakovic. Oh, I did well on that. Frequently, the books I record aren't SF, but this is time travel, murder mystery. It was a great deal of fun, in part because the main character is an admin assistant. <laughs> Thanks to the time travel lab at St. Seneva University, history is no longer a mystery. Oh, okay, so that's the... And the and they, anyway, she's got uh, a link to it. And what's the cover art on the... Did you get a hard copy on this, oh, right? Oh, hang on. Um, it got, it's like, cute. It has... People popping out of a volcano. It, it kind of looks steampunky, so at first I thought it might be. There's, like, um, circles coming out of clouds and then silhouettes of people flying through the air. Well, flying through time, so I guess. <laughs> Are they volcanic explosions? Oh, actually, yeah, that might be. I guess there are mountains at the bottom. I think, uh, you know what I think that is? Uh, it was set on Rhodes, right? The island of Rhodes? Well, she said that they go to Pompeii, so... Oh, okay, Vesuvius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, on her website, one of the major tabs is a pronunciation guide, so I should say her first name is Nev, and it's uh -huh. a translation of her real first name. It means snowy one. And her last name is Maslakovich. So I had the right pronunciation, but not the right emphasis. <laughs> I got it. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds like it's um, one to look at. I'm going to, you know, yeah, that might be for me. We'll keep going, though. What if I find something even better? <laughs> Urban fantasy. Oh, my. <laughs> Yes, so we got Finch by Jeff Vandermeer, which Tama pointed out is actually a third in a series, which I didn't realize that. I actually have the first in the series at home, and I haven't read it yet. I keep meaning to. Um, tell us about this one, Tam. <laughs> um, wait, what did I paste to you, you before? You said something about fungus. <laughs> Yeah, that's what you were saying. Was, I don't, I don't it, know what that it, is. This is from a... a fungus book? What? It's a fungus book, you said? <laughs> yeah, so, someone on Goodreads said this. Finch is a new weird detective story set in Ambergris, Vandermeer's city of choice. After the events of Shriek, the fungal alien greycaps have risen up and taken over the city. Partials, humans entered into an unholy pax with the greycaps. So I guess they're like half fungus, half human. Serves huh. a spy ring keeping the pipelets under control with the aid of their fungal enhancements. Does, <laughs> then I say, does Jenny want? <laughs> and uh, the definition of ambergris is a solid, waxy, flammable substance of a dull gray or blackish color produced in the digestive system of sperm whales, from Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. It's what they used to make perfume out of. Oh. Is that like whale crap or whale vomit? Um, no, it's the oil. I, the oil from... I think I think it's when they're cutting up the whales, they, they use every part of it, right? Oh. Yeah. 
I thought I said something about it coming out of its butt. <laughs> I don't believe whales have butts, but they're, if they they're be, extrusion organs. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible, but they probably don't use toilet paper either. In fact, now that I think about it, I think they poo in the sea. Yeah, they just have the uh, the uh, bidet. Oh, it's that the bidet that the water spray. A bidet. <laughs> Whale bidet. Okay. <laughs> okay, so maybe we should move on. <laughs> Indeed. I, I, I mean, should... this author is very literary, so. Jeff Vandermeer? Yeah. Yeah, and he's known for all the, the weird, you know, so I'm sure yeah, that figures yeah. into there. But it also is a detective novel, so I kind of grouped it under urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have one other under urban fantasy called Widow's Web, which is number seven in the Elemental Assassin series. By mm-hmm. Jennifer Estep, performed by Lauren Ford Gang. And that comes from Brilliance 2. And the little tagline says, I used to murder people for money, but lately it's become more of a survival technique. Hmm. Once an assassin, always an assassin. So much for being a plain old green, you know, Jean Blanco. Jean Blanco? Hmm. With every lowlife in Ashland grinning at, oh, gunning at gunning for me, I don't need another problem. But a new one has come to town anyway. Selena might seem like a sweet southern belle, but she's really a dangerous enemy whose water elemental magic can go head-to-head with my own ice and stone power. Selena also has an intimate history with my lover, Owen Grayson. And now that she's back, she thinks... She, I can't read this. He's hers for taking. Selena's playing a mysterious game that involves a lady... A shady local casino owner with a surprising connection to Owen. But they call me the spider for a reason. I'm going to untangle untangle her deadly scheme, even if it leaves my love affair hanging by a thread. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is hilarious, but it's book seven of Elemental Assassin. Mm -hmm. Seven's not lucky? I don't know, but I just, I think it's funny that the main character is a spider or a spider elemental or something. I I don't know. Like a spider woman. It's very strange. (laughs) Um, How did you classify that? Urban fantasy? Wow. Well, (laughs) I don't know. And the magic part, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe this is new weird as well. Um, it's, it's definitely strange in a certain way. Definitely more fantastic than it is, uh, science fiction-y. Yeah. All right. Present day, but not urban fantasy. So mm. we're, we're cutting, we're cutting up the, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this one's genre. in the woods. <laughs> yeah, this one's out in the woods. Yeah. Rural fantasy, I guess. Um, what so it looks like a, this is a new series, The Thin Veil, and this is the first book, Through the Door, by Jody Ms. Isaac performed by Kate Rudd, and it says, Single mom Cedar McLeod leads an ordinary but lonely life, balancing the demands of her career and her six-year-old daughter, Eden. One day, a fight between the two leads to the stunning discovery that Eden can open portals to anyone anywhere she imagines. But before they can learn more about her extraordinary gift, the young girl mysteriously disappears. Desperate to find answers and her daughter, Cedar seeks out Eden's father who left before Eden was born. What she discovers challenges everything she's ever known about the world around her. Magic is real, and mythical beings from an ancient world will stop at nothing to possess Eden's abilities. 
So stop it there. Yeah, it's uh, um sounds like they dabble in like setting it within Celtic mythology mm. too. So I'm sure this book is very much about setting up that world. Um, but the cover is beautiful and it looks interesting. You know, um, there was this reminds me. I listened to a recent Freakonomics podcast where they were talking about about the naming of people, uh, parents naming their children, and it got me to thinking about how authors name their 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 characters Mm -hmm. is kind of related to the way people name their children, except um, characters are disposable in a certain sense, whereas (laughs) hopefully your children aren't. But um, And you yeah, probably right. control your characters a little more than your children. Yes, uh, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Um, hopefully. Uh, but in this case, uh, the single mom's name named Cedar, and the child's name is Eden. Right? So the, this is sort of, you can see the, the according to the, the guy who's on Freakonomics podcast, um, it, names are aspirational. Um, n- not so much... Uh, sorry, maybe that's the wrong word for it, but aspirational is not exactly the right word. The right word would be um, they're for showing off, <laughs> for showing your cred. So if you're a conservative family, you would give your your children conservative names so that your conservative neighbors would appreciate how conservative you are. So uh, Jordan and Mackenzie would be the children of conservative uh, parents. Oh, I was whereas, thinking more like Bible names, Samuel... Roots. Well, but that's a different that's a different kind of conservative, right? Sure. Uh, uh, and and so you you can sort of figure out uh, what people's economic status and voting class is by what their parents named their children. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating thing because it, you can when you do look at the lists of of names of people and who you know how the people are you know politically aligned. They do make sense in that certain certain way is that the there's some names that cross over, but there's some that are much more, you know, like if your name, if your child's name is Apple, you're much more likely to be uh, a liberal mm-hmm. than if your child's name is Mackenzie, because Mackenzie is uh, a masculine name. Um, and the idea is that uh, conservatives name their children with more uh, masculine names and and. Um, uh, liberals name them with more conservative names. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry, with more um, feminine names. Uh, so I thought that was a, a fascinating little insight, and it makes you think about how characters are named, right? Right. Because they are they are essentially all the children of the author, and so when you look at a a, a certain author and you think of their characters. What kind of names are they given? And often they are not just picked out of the phone book randomly. I thought that was an interesting way of anal- analyzing whether you're going to like a book or not. Is, hmm. is you can decide whether it's the the um, the uh, names are appropriate or not. But yeah, the biblical names are an interesting cleavage there as well. Hmm. Anyways, little. Down the rabbit hole on that one too. So Cedar and Eden sound like hippie names. Yeah, taken by do. themselves. <laughs> exactly, they totally do. Um, epic slash traditional fantasy. Yeah, I like the idea that tr- there's a traditional fantasy <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> uh, whatever the new urban stuff. 
going on with. Um, uh, the Exiled Blade, The Assassini, number three, by John Courtney Grimwood, performed by Dan John Miller. Uh, nine discs, 11 hours, three minutes, and no reviewer yet. Well, none of these have reviewers yet. Ah, well, we need one then. A violent attack on Lady Giulietta's son forces Tycho from his newfound happiness and back into the treacherous intrigue of the court. For Giulietta's sake, he would go to the world's end to track down those responsible. As Venice teeters on the brink of civil war, its feuding families prepare to discover who is a player and who is a pawn in the coming struggle for power. The Exiled Blade is a climactic finale to Tycho's story. Okay, so it's a trilogy with an ending. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. This uh, reminds me of the new Da Vinci's Inc. Not Da Vinci's Inc. Da Vinci's Demons. Have you seen this show? No. no. Nope. Okay. I think well, it's on uh, Stars or something. Yes, it is. I don't have. Well, there are other ways of seeing it. But right. let me tell you, um, I, I don't like it because they keep screwing up the animals on the show um in the first episode they had it's set in the late uh 1400s um but prior to 1492 and yet they had a macaw in the marketplace of florence that's impossible there would be no macaw in the marketplace of florence so i was completely thrown out of the story by seeing a macaw in the marketplace and then in the second episode they had a boa constrictor in the marketplace and boa constrictors are, again, new world animals. And so I was thrown out of the narrative. <laughs> Somebody on that set doesn't know what they're doing when it comes to ca- casting the animals. Yes, macaws and boa constrictors are very pretty animals, but they wouldn't be in Europe, not at this time. What's a macaw? So, a macaw is a kind of parrot. It's oh. the one that most people think of when they think of parrots. It's like a big uh very i think it's the biggest parrot actually and it's got very colorful um usually multicolored or sometimes they're blue there's different kinds there's a hyacinth like on something else oh so assassini is not a female assassin memories of ice my malazan book of the oh sorry memories of ice malazan book of the fallen number 3 by Stephen Erickson uh, read by Ralph Lister. 36 discs, 44 hours. Wow. Wow. This is giant. <laughs> yeah. Epic. I can't believe they're still making disc packages that big. Just do like MP3 CDs or something. Well, I think this one came in a box all its own. Wow. It's giant. How much does it weigh? I don't know. <laughs> it's like two, you know, those normal fantasy audiobooks that's like a really thick CD. Mm-hmm. It's two of those. <laughs> wow. It's junky. Yeah. And this is book three, so. Yeah, but people seem really into these, so I am I guess I'm not really that surprised. And if Ralph Lister wants to sit and record for 44 hours, <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> I bet he does. He's saying, paycheck, paycheck. Well, if you want to drive cross-country, this might be a good book to listen to. I think you could probably make it in 44 hours. Yeah, you know, I'm going on a trip on Wednesday, but it's only six hours. So, you just bring a short novel. Yep. <laughs> Let's read the description here. the The ravaged continent of G- G- oh, sorry, Genesbacchus, Genesbacchus, I think that's right, has given birth to a terrifying new empire, the Panian Domin, 
like a tide of corrupted blood, it seethes across the land, devouring all. In its path stands an uneasy alliance, one-arms army, and whiskey jacks, bridge burners, alongside their enemies of old, the forces of warlord Caladan brood. Oh, okay. Anomander Rake and his Tist Andi mages, and the Rahivi people of the plains. Definitely getting some backstory. But ancient undead clans are also gathering. The Talan Imas have risen, for it would seem something altogether darker and more malign threatens this world. Rumors abound that the crippled god is now unchained and intent on terrible revenge. Talk about names. Yes, he's probably down near Mordor, is my thinking. Because that'd be where I'd be if I was a crippled god. Crippled, that's the wrong term for gods. should be disabled. <laughs> but it's capitalized, so it has a different meaning, I'm sure. I don't think this is a series you'd jump into at book three. If you were no. really into this, you would know what these things are. <laughs> and thank you for reading that. I wasn't going to try. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I, I almost want to get Maybe out you can narrate the, the next one. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, I just want to see what, like, the Church of the Crippled God, like, is he have, like, lots of disabled parking in the parking lot, I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> There's a a big crutch on the roof. No. Disabled people don't use crutches. Crutches are for temporary things. It would be like a wheelchair symbol, you know, instead of a cross. It would be more... A walker. Yeah, something like that. Now, speaking of gods, we've got uh, science fiction programmers. I love that. It's a science fiction programmers uh, (laughs) subgenre. What does that mean? Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I guess I it's know. about programmers. <laughs> um, it's called The God Patent mm-hmm. by Ransom Stevens, performed by Luke Daniels. Ten CDs, 12 hours, seven minutes. Very breezy length compared to the last one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and from Brilliance. Now, who wants to read this one? I read the last one, so I'll I'd like it. to listen and enjoy. When electrical engineers Ryan McNear and Foster Reed co-authored two patents for company cash incentives, they thought it was all just a joke. One describes the soul as a software algorithm, and the other described the Big Bang as a power generator. <laughs> when the company crashes, McNear finds himself divorced, desperately hard up, and estranged from his son. As he rebuilds his life, McNear discovers Reed has used their nonsensical patents to draw in top-tier energy investors. <laughs> So, fast-forwarding to the end, set in the age-old culture war between science and religion, The God Patent is a modern story that deftly blends scientific theory with one man's struggle to discover his soul. Hmm. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Sounds like it might be very interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look up Ransom Stevens. I'm not familiar with him. I'm not either. If you name your child Ransom, what does that say about you (laughs) as a parent? I don't know if I believe that's somebody's real first name, but I'm going to go with it. Yes, it is. Oh, writer, physicist, speaker. So Yeah, I was going to say, if I had to guess, I would say they probably came from that kind of background, electrical engineering or physicist, because who else could write about this stuff? <laughs> I'm looking at his Twitter. I assume it's a he. Twitter uh, description. Technologist, novelist, science fiction writer, or oh, sorry, science writer, physicist, speaker, and beer drinker. Now, remember, a few years back, Neil Stevenson said that we needed more science in our science fiction, and there's at least two books on here that would qualify for that. 
Uh, is this one of them? Sure. I mean, you know. Uh-huh. Sort of, I think. Well, I'd, I'd have to read it to know. But. Well, that's it, looks, it looks interesting. It, it sounds like a comedy to me. A comedy? Sound like, you don't think that sounds... It sounds like a comedy to me. Mm, I don't see comedy in there. <laughs> well, it's just because... It's his struggle. It's his struggle book. Well, it, there is even the word joke in there, but... Um, <laughs> no, it says, like, a soft... Uh, uh, Software algorithm is the soul, and the Big Bang is a power generator. Uh, yeah, it is, but it's kind of the biggest one. Um, I think that's a. I think this is a comedy. I could, I'd be very interested to find out I'm wrong, but it sounds like it is to me. Hmm. Anyways, hmm. now to the section we have come to know and love as <laughs> PKD. There's just no end. <laughs> Uh, there will be soon, because I'm pretty sure they're running out. Yeah, when's he going to stop writing? Seriously. Philip K. Dick has written so many things, and they keep recording them and publishing them, so we keep mm-hmm. talking about them. And they keep making now, movies. We got this as a hard copy, right? No, all of these are audio. Uh, okay, interesting. Well, uh, Maze of Death, um, the cover art for it, is one of the few arts that makes sense, I think. Uh, most of the art for these is really god-awful. It's just terrible. But um, the cover that I saw um, has just a shot of a skylight. And you say, well, that's not that interesting, Jesse. But actually, I think it's a skylight from the uh, Bradbury building in Los Angeles, which is where they shot the original uh, Blade Runner. And um, I've been there, and it's a fascinating building, very interesting to look at. Um, so there is at least a small Philip K. Dick connection uh, to this sort of random uh, art that they put on the covers. But that's all I know about the book. <laughs> it's like uh, the cover it almost makes sense. And the book seems like just one more exploration of him running away with an idea, because the oh, planet involves... Is populated mostly by gelatinous cube-shaped beings <laughs> that give cryptic advice in the form of anagrams. <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah, this is probably one of those fun ones to hear. And tasty. Six, six hmm. hours, eight minutes. Delmac O is a dangerous planet, though there are only fourteen citizens. No one can, <laughs> no one can trust anyone else, and death can strike at any moment. This sounds very much like a story of his I've read. The planet is vast and largely unexplored, populated by mostly by gelatinous cube beings that give cryptic advice in the form of anagrams. Deities can be spoken to directly by a series of prayer amplifiers and transmitters, but they may not be happy about it. And the mysterious building in the distance draws all the colonists to it. But when they get there, each sees a different motto on the front. Oh, I like it. The mystery of this structure and the secrets contained within it drive the, this mind-bending novel. Hmm. I'm very much interested in this book. Well, you should review it. I think I might. Benjamin L. Darcy. Yeah, he's done some of them before. Oh, has he? Yeah, there's kind of a subset of readers that seem to do the PKD stuff. They finish one and they say, give me me one more. I'll do one. (laughs) I'll do another. Um, But don't do too many. You do too many in a row, you end up like the people in A Scanner Darkly. Uh, Clans of the Alphane Moon. This one, I think, I might have read a long time ago by Phil K. Dick, performed by David DeVries. 
and it's seven hours thirty minutes. Tam, you want to read this one? Uh, for years, the third moon of the Alphane system was used as a psychiatric hospital. But when war broke out between Earth and the Alphanes, the hospitals left unguarded, and the inmates set up their own society made up of competing factions based on their particular mental illnesses. <laughs> when, when Earth sends a de- delegation to take back the colony, they find enclaves of depressives, schizophrenics, paranoics, and others uniting to re- repel what they see as a foreign invasion. So it's like the cuckoo's nests? I don't know. Meanwhile, back, uh, on, back on Earth, CIA agent Chuck Rittersdorf and his wife Mary go through a bitter divorce, and Chuck loses everything. But when he is assigned to clandestinely control an android accompanying Mary to the Alphane moon, He's an opportunity to get revenge. Oh, gee, I wonder why he's writing about a wife he hates. Mm. <laughs> well, he did have five of them. So. Mm. Oh, um, he did? Yes, he had five wives in total, I believe. Um, but he, you know, he started young, so it's a little more reasonable. So he was like Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, yes, he's the Elizabeth Taylor of male science fiction writers. Oh. Um. Now, what's funny is there is a story that this is based on, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's actually a public domain one. Uh, I think it's called A World of Talent. Let me just see if I've got this here. Um, and it's basically the same idea is that there's a bunch of mental patients who are on a crashed spaceship on a planet. Um, oh, but we don't know that at the beginning of the story. We just think they're just regular people, but they're all completely paranoid, um, and they all have different kinds of paranoia. Um, and it's sort of just a, a, a crazy little story with um, the conclusion being that everybody's going to go back and get revenge on Earth <laughs> because they've been abandoned. But maybe they're really not um, uh, been abandoned. Maybe they're just all insane. So it's a it's a fun little story anyways. Maybe Jack um, Nicholson could be in the movie. Uh, I don't think so. I think he's too old now. Oh. I think, I think he, yeah, his craziness is, is more limited. If we were recasting it, we'd have to find a... Give me a young Jack Nicholson. Yeah, some some other actor. A young Jack Nicholson. All right, what's up next? More Dick? Yes, and Zelazny, right? Yeah, it's an interesting pairing, I thought. Um, Deus Irae. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says... It's post-apocalyptic. After World War III, the servants of Wrath cult deified the mysterious Carlton Luftufil, creator of the doomsday weapon that wiped out much of humanity. But to worship the man, they need an image of him as a god, and no one has ever seen him. So the high priests send a limbless master painter into a wilderness on a mission and to, cap- to capture his likeness. Without limbs? Limbless. <laughs> Unfortunately for Tybor, the nation's remaining Christians do not want him to succeed and are willing to kill to ensure that the so-called Deus Irae remains hidden. This hallucinatory tale through a nuclear wasteland asks what price the artist must pay for art and tries to figure out just what makes a god. Mm. Now, Deus Irae, I believe, means Day of Wrath. But that could be wrong. I was looking at the... Uh, Wikipedia entry for Deus Aerae. Day of Wrath is a 13th century Latin hymn attributed to Thomas of Solano of the Franciscan Order. Um, Ooh, and there's a very interesting painting that goes along with it. 
Mem- Memling's triptych of the Last Judgment. Um, so this fits in with a sort of one of the other threads that Philip K. Dick's into, which is uh, sort of church history and such. But I wonder what what Roger Zelazny's contribution would be, because he's a very interesting writer, but in a very different way, I think, than uh, Philip K. Dick. This is one of only two collaborations that uh, Dick did. Um, so I assume this is relatively late in his career. Interesting. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see how the other author affects him, you know, his writing and what the focus is. Now, Dr. Futurity, I'm pretty sure, is a very early. Yeah, it's 1960, so it's relatively early in his career. He started writing in 52 uh, professionally. Um, what's the story on this one? Uh, performed by McLeod Andrews, who I think has done other dick mm-hmm. stories. Five discs, five hours, 29 minutes. That's breezy, Jenny. You could do that in your uh, your drive. Mm-hmm. Right? When Dr. Jim Parsons awakens after a car accident, he finds himself in a future populated almost entirely by the young. But for the young to keep running the world, death is fetishized, and those who survive to old age are put down. In such a world, Parsons, with his innate desires to save lives, is a criminal and an outcast. For one revolutionary group, however, he may just be the savior they need to heal and revive their cryogenically frozen leader. When he and the group journey to the 16th century California, what they find causes them to question what they know about history and the underpinnings of their society. With the jarring immediacy of a car crash, Philip K. Dick throws both the listener and protagonist of Dr. Futurity into a bizarre future where healing is a crime and youth rules. Hmm. Interesting. And speaking of healing... Huh? Oh, oh, what a transition. (laughs) Nice. Wow. The next one is Galactic Pot Healer, but you guys have just discussed this. Yes. On the previous issue, and Julie's posted a review. So um, I think we have this one covered, but Aww. maybe somebody else will want to listen to it. <laughs> well, Phil Giganti is a, um, is a very uh, good narrator. I, I'm, I'm not sure which one I would prefer, but this is the only one that's currently in print. So <laughs> um, the original one, uh, the original audiobook of it was read by Grover Gardner, who is an excellent narrator as well. So it's kind of a toss-up as to which one you would want, but really you only have this one as an option if you're getting a modern one. Um, but yes, this is a very highly recommended book. I think it's um, I think it's one of Philip K. Dick's best. So it's it's only six hours, six six hours and thirteen minutes, nice and short. Yeah, and it sounded really interesting when you guys talked about it. So. Oh, you listened to the whole thing? Wow. Hmm. Wow. I'm complimented. <laughs> our last Philip K. Dick is our friends from Frolics 8 by Philip K. Dick, of course, performed by Nick Podell. In Our Friends from Frolics 8, the world is run by an elite few, and what determines whether one is part of the elite isn't wealth or privilege, but brains. As children, every citizen on Earth is tested. Some are found to be super smart, new men, and some are unusuals with various psychic powers. New men are capitalized as are unusuals. The various majority are undermen, performing menial jobs in an overpopulated world. Nick Appleton 
is an underman, content to eke out an existence as a tire regrouper. <laughs> I love Philip K. Dick's characters always have crappy jobs. But after his son is classified as an underman, Appleton begins to question the hierarchy, strengthening his resolve and energizing the resistance movement. Is news that the great resistant leader Thor Peronis is returning from a trip from the farthest reaches of space. Oh, I see. Strengthening his resolve is the news. Okay. Uh, and he's brought help, a giant, indestructible alien. Oh, I love it. And the title, Our Friends from Frolics 8, is like, there, he'll be here to help. <laughs> this sounds great. Oh, I've never read that book. It sounds really good. Yep, so there's here. no shortage of Philip K. Dick. 1970. Uh, it says on the cover of this old paperback, what had answered mankind's call for help, and at what price? Yes, this looks very good. It's it, it's interesting. You can sort of see patterns in his stuff, even when it's so bizarre. All yeah, right. The funny thing is, remember the one a few episodes ago that was the giant alien jellyfish and mm-hmm. then this one just giant indestructible alien <laughs> yeah 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 well and and even the the one i we did with julie was um it's a giant alien cthulhu being you know mm-hmm. uh, so the other books left on the list are outside of sff do you still want to talk about them yeah why not i i saw the guy michael Pollan, uh, author of cooked and natural history of transformation he was on Colbert or the other one, Daily Show, maybe? Mm-hmm. See that? I didn't see it. No. But I've, I've read other books of his. I've read um, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and there's something else, but I can't remember. Um, How to Eat or something? Or In, in yeah. Defense of Food? What to Eat? <laughs> something like that. Um, but in this one, which is called Cooked, he's... Um, looking at the elements of fire, water, air, and earth, and how they impact food. So he learns to grill with fire, cook with liquid, bake bread, ferment things like cheese and beer. Mm. And it sounds like he's just kind of chronicling his journey. And it's in his voice, so that should be interesting. Oh, oh he's the narrator. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, fermented food. I love uh, kimchi. You guys had any kimchi? No, I never have. Very yummy. Oh, you should get some. It's it's really yummy. I like cheese. Well, yeah, I guess, but you got to. It, it's like sauerkraut except uh, spicy. Right. Hmm. I've had it at Korean restaurants. Yeah, that's the place to get it, right? I mean, you I could don't buy it. At have any Korean restaurants? Oh, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard, Jenny. I know that's it's because of where sad. I live. I have to travel two states away just to have Ethiopian food too. Wow. <laughs> That's terrible. It's supposed to be probiotic if it's made right. Yeah, it should it's be. It's supposed to be what? Probiotic, like yogurt. Oh. Well, the main thing is it's it's like, yeah, it makes you feel good when you eat it, but it's because it's so good. And it's it's got like, because it's... It's um, it's got active cultures. Yeah, there's that, but also it's like, um, it's sort of spicy and refreshing. It's like uh, cabbage that is... Um, spicy, <laughs> sour. Wonderful. Yeah, so that is really sad, Jenny, because you know Korean food is one of the best. You know, I like I like all sorts of different ethnicities of food, and the thing is, I don't like most seafood, and a lot of Korean food is seafood, but what isn't is super yummy. 
Well, I know it's on my list to try eventually. You gotta move. You gotta get your university to uh, have an extension branch in some city with uh, like Los Angeles, or, or you can make your own kimchi. Yeah. Los Angeles has lots of Korean restaurants, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think you're probably not best off to make your own kimchi because it it requires the ingredients, which you would have to get at like a an Asian market, which probably I don't think Jenny has if she doesn't have any. Yeah. You don't have any Asian markets near you, do you? No, I'll just have to go to Atlanta. It's three hours away, but they have everything. I've even had Bangladeshi food there. But we yes. are digressing. <laughs> well, we're talking about a book called Cooked, so I think this is this is totally the way to go. I, I think a lot of people haven't tried um, uh, that. When he, he was on the show, he was talking about the, the four different kinds, and, and the, the cooking with earth is how kimchi is made. It's put in the ground, right? <laughs> They plant it in the ground and then they come back nine months later, whatever it is, and it's it's fermented and um, it's it's transformed uh, what I wouldn't want to eat into something I would want to eat. And I know that other cultures like um, the Finns and stuff they they do that with fish, which I think is probably the scariest thing Ooh. I've ever. Hmm. Yeah, there's eggs but, too. There's a hundred year egg. Yeah. Not you know, the so Mayans used to do that with cocoa, too. Like, they'd make fermented, like a fermented but chocolate that drink. That would be good. That yeah. would probably be good. Yeah. I, yeah, I think we should do more of that. Well, the other thing I like about this book, and the reason that I'm going to claim it for myself, <laughs> is yeah. that, um, like, I read Cook's Illustrated, and I watch that America's Test Kitchen show, you know, because I really like people who do the work to figure out the best version of something. You know, mm-hmm. if you do everything perfectly, you know, ending up with something perfect at the end. So this sounds kind of similar to that, too. It does. Yeah, let me know how you like it. I will. Yeah. We'll see the review. Yeah. Is that appropriate? And we post we'll stuff like that. We'll fit it in. We'll <laughs> fit it in. Um, up next, we have Safe Journey, Prayers and Comfort for Frightened Flyers and Other Anxious Souls by Julia Cameron Read by Julia Cameron. This is another Penguin audio title. Two discs, two hours, very short. Right, Um, and I have to admit that when I first saw it, I was like, "Mm." but she's actually pretty well known for her book, The Artist's Way, which talks a lot about performance anxiety. So she really is kind of an expert about helping people through anxieties of different kinds. So it actually might be good for people who are afraid of flying. I I think it's it's, it's fascinating uh, because it's, these are not drugs, right? These are not drugs you inject into yourself to make your your brain different. It's words that are injected into yourself that make your brain different. Isn't that fascinating that we can be... Uh, the words can transform your thinking in mm-hmm. the same way that drugs can, or perhaps in... I don't know if they're more effective or less effective, but I, I think that's the thesis anyways, right? That she's going to find a way to help you get past your fear of flying. I think that that's, uh, that's a science fiction idea right there almost. Yeah. I guess we'll um, see if any of our reviewers this will apply to. I guess we'll see. Well, send, send, send it to someone, see if they uh, can fly. And if they did, it works. That's good enough as a review. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work. Sorry. Hmm. So you're saying books are your drug, Jesse? I think that that's probably true. Yes, I had I had some uh, what's it uh, alcohol the other day called sherry. I've never had sherry before. I had some the other day, 
and it was fine, but I I think I've had enough for my whole life now. I had like, you know, two fingers worth, <laughs> which is not very much. But yes, I'm not a big drug guy other than books, I think. Now down here, we just know sherry is the thing you add to she crab soup. <laughs> okay. She crab? What's a, it's is a, that is the female crab? Is that what how it works? It's like a Charleston low country specialty that everyone makes their own version of. It has to be a female crab? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does it taste different? It's just a traditional thing. I think they, right. use, they use the eggs and the crab, so that's why you have to have she crab. Can you do the local accent when you when you say she crab, please? Uh, no, probably not. Aww. <laughs> I can say Rutherford Tin. That's about the only, the only thing I can say in the accent. What was that? Rutherford Tin. It's that old... Rutherford Tin. <laughs> What's that? What is Rutherford Tin? It's just a town, but... Okay. All right. It's cute. Mm-hmm. We have two left. Unintended okay. Consequences by Stuart Woods, a stone bearing to novel read by Tony Roberts on Penguin Audio. Stone Barrington is no stranger to schemes and deceptions of all stripes. As an attorney for the premier, uh, sorry, the premier white shoe law firm Woodman and Weld, he's more than seen his share. But when he travels to Europe under highly unusual circumstances, Stone finds himself at the center of a mystery that is ever by his standards, even by his standards, most peculiar. Two unexpected invitations may be the first clues in the intricate muzzle. <laughs> Sorry, I keep thinking about his name. Stone. <laughs> the author named his character Stone. What does that say about the author? Stuart Woods. Hmm. Stone Woods. Okay, back to the story. Two unexpected invitations may be the first clues in the in an intricate puzzle. Stone must unravel to learn the truth. What? Oh, okay. Intricate puzzle. Stone must unravel to learn the truth. A puzzle that will lead him deep into the rarefied world of European ultra wealth and privilege, where billionaires rub elbows with spooks. Insider knowledge is traded at a high premium, and murder is never too high a price to pay for a desired end. It soon becomes clear that beneath the bright lights of Europe lurks a shadowy underworld, and its only rule is deadly ambition. So I'm pretty sure Stone Barrington's a long-running novel uh, series. I I think we've got Stuart Wood's books before, but we I don't... We have, I don't, and, and they've been Stone Barrington books. All right. I just don't, I don't recall what these are particularly about. Well, my in-laws, who listen to a lot of non-science fiction audiobooks... Um, mm-hmm. They said they listened to a few, and it's almost always this guy, and he's almost always rubbing elbows with these really super wealthy people with no morals. And that's kind of like if you, you know, if you're the kind of person that reads the trashy magazines about the stars and stuff like that, like it, that's kind of the interesting target audience. Which some people really enjoy that as kind of a, you know, de-stressor. I guess Jacqueline Suzanne or something. Yeah, only. More male-oriented, I think. Uh. All right, so uh, we've got a a uh, what looks like a historical book is the next one, right? Mm-hmm. Bunker Hill, A City, A Siege, A Revolution by Nathaniel Philbrick, read by Chris Sorensen. So it's all about that battle. 
Boston, in 1775, is an island city occupied by British troops after a series of incendiary, incendiary incidents by patriots who range from sober citizens to thuggish vigilantes. After the Boston Tea Party, British and American soldiers and Massachusetts residents, Massachusetts, Massachusetts residents have warily maneuvered around each other until April 19th when violence finally erupts at Lexington in Concord. In June, however, this does sound like a history lesson here. Uh, so, is this nonfiction? Yeah, it's a history book. Ah, okay. I thought it was a historical fiction. Mm-mm. Ah, interesting. That's interesting. Philbrick mm-hmm. brings a fresh perspective to every aspect of the story. He, has, he, he finds new characters and new facets to familiar ones. The real work of choreography choreographing choreographying rebellion falls to a 33-year-old physician named Joseph Warren who emerges as one of the as one of the on-the-ground leaders of the patriot cause and is fated to die at Bunker Hill. Others in the cast include Paul Revere, Warren's fiance, poet Mercy Mercy Scalay, a newly recruited George Washington, the reluctant British combat general Thomas Gage, and his more bellicose successor, William Howe, who leads the three charges at Bunker Hill and presides over the claustrophobic cauldron of a city under siege. Hmm. That's an interesting. They're sending us history. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know your American history very well? Because I don't know much about Bunker Hill other than what I just read there. I definitely don't think I probably know 14 hours about Bunker Hill. <laughs> 14 hours of Bunker I know who Archie Bunker is. <laughs> oh, no. I once did a paper on the Battle of Gettysburg, and all of these battles you can find so much information on. So I'm not surprised. I think people are really interested in it. Uh, well, Civil War stuff seems to be much more popular than Revolutionary War stuff, at least uh, generally. But maybe that's changing. I don't know. I don't know. Changing, maybe. I don't know. Mind you, you know, it's always Civil War stuff. They just had the Lincoln movie out, right? Um, now, I did spot... I did spot a couple of books that are new releases that I wanted to talk about. Did you guys have any? No, there wasn't a lot of new that I saw, but I haven't looked very deeply. Why don't you tell us? Okay, well, um, I have been following the new releases Twitter uh, feed for Audible. And one of the things they've been tweeting up a storm about is all the uh, Barry Malsberg, Barry Ann Malsberg books. And he's he's one of those guys who I was saying, you know, his books are uh, all coming out like right now. And he's never been on audio before, as far as I'm aware. I don't think there was like maybe one short story in a collection or something. But it looks like there's at least a, a dozen books or well, maybe exactly a dozen books uh, with his uh, name attached and different narrators. Um, but he's, he's somebody I've liked. I would have liked to have read, but um, his books are relatively hard to get. So um, I think that this might be a good time to get started into it. So there's uh, beyond Apollo, the remaking of Sigmund Freud underlay the falling astronauts galaxies, which I might, I think might be a collection um, Tactics of Conquest, which also might be a collection. Uh, Hervoit's World, The Sodom and Gomorrah Business, Guernica Knight, and Scop. But um, 
you guys probably, if you do know Barry Malzberg at all, it'd probably be from a novella, which uh, was turned into a movie called Enemy Mine. You guys remember that movie? thought that was a pretty good movie. Yeah. I'm not familiar no. with that. No? So with um, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr.? That's the one. Okay. Dennis Quaid is a human, and Louis Gossett Jr. is an alien, and they shoot each other down uh, in space and crash land on a planet and have to live together. Right. It's like um, there's a couple of other movies that are exactly like that, except they're set in World War II or uh, something like that. You know, they're... Uh, I think there's one with Tishiro Mifuni and uh, Lee Marvin um, that is exactly the same premise. Uh, and it's fun, except the difference there is Lee Marvin uh, doesn't take care of uh, Tishiro Mifuni's baby, which is what happens in Enemy Mine. Because um, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is a... Uh, no, he's not a female. He's a... What's that? Uh, he has both genders. What's that called? Hermaphrodite? Yes, he's a hermaphrodite. And it's a very touching story. A very good science fiction movie and sort of very... Um, uh, doesn't get the respect it deserves, I think, given how good it is. I don't think as many people know about it as they should. But uh, that's one of the few audiobooks that is not up yet of his, I think. So that's one. Uh, one is the book called Enemy, Enemy Mine? Yes, it is. It's a novella, and I've got a copy of it as a paper book, but I don't have an audiobook of it because it doesn't exist yet. Um, now, Robert Asprin, you guys know him. He's uh, He wrote a bunch of uh, comedic fantasy books I guess, hmm. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote Another Fine Myth and Myth Conceptions and Hit or Myth <laughs> and Myth Directions. Those are all suddenly out as audiobooks. And uh, I think that that's going to please a lot of people. Yeah, because when you look through the list of the coming soon, it's a lot of groups of things like series and mm-hmm. sets. I did find oh. another one to talk about. When I don't know if you were done talking about that one yet. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Um, one which I was happy they categorized in science fiction and fantasy is The Drought by J.G. Ballard. Mm. Um, it's scheduled to be released on Tuesday, the 30th of April. Um, I'm a big fan of J.G. Ballard, but I haven't read everything that he's done. Some of his books are really hard to find because the print has gone out of print often. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just starting to bring them back and republish them. Um, so this one is about climate change. Man's most precious commodity, water, is a luxury of the past. Radioactive waste from years of industrial dumping has caused the sea to form a protective skin strong enough to devastate the earth it once sustained. And, you know, I love that kind of post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It sounds good, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. He's, he's such a weird guy. I mean, he, he he's even more alien than Philip K. Dick, I think, by a long stretch. When you read his stuff, you say, well, that was very different, but... What does it mean? Right. Well, there's what a lot of similarities. Happens. Yeah, you know, but he, 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 you know, Dick is not really surreal. I think that that's what Ballard is. Is you, you read him and you say, "Wow, what the hell?" Right. <laughs> I well, don't he's get it. Real some of the time, but he writes a lot of different ways, just like Dick does. So I, I really enjoy what I've read. I, no, I, I I like him. I think he's a very good writer. Um, but I just don't I I don't understand him. 
Not at all. I, I don't know what he's trying to say other than maybe he's like Ray Bradbury. He's just trying to give me a feeling. Hmm. And, and it's the feeling of being discombobulated, like in a dream, sort of. Um, that book, by the way, The Drought, uh, was originally titled The Burning World and was later expanded and uh, retitled. Oh, well, good, yeah. because I've had The Burning World on my to-read list for a long time, so oh, I'll, I'll take care of that. Birds with one stone, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it sounds like it might be a read-along. Maybe. Could be. Could be. I think Ballard's interesting to talk about, because he's, he's definitely... Definitely, he's a writer of a different voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's well, cool. All I know is he wrote uh, Crash, that novel about uh, people that have sex while crashing their car. And they, yes. they made a movie out of it with uh, David Cronenberg directed it. Yes, he did. It's a very strange movie. Yes, <laughs> seems that way. And it, Cronenberg is a similarly strange director, I think. Uh, although when, you know... His stuff is accessible. It's, a, it's still strange, but some, when it's inaccessible, it's, it's equally strange. Um, that's not the only thing I've got. I've got a couple more. Midnight City is a new uh, book showing up on uh, Downpour's uh, website. It's uh, a conquered Earth novel, but it's book one, so I, I think that that's probably, if you we were going to read one, that would be the one to start with. Um, it's by J. Barton Mitchell, and I thought, actually, this was sounded kind of like a Jenny book, too. It's uh, 15 hours, uh, or 15 and a half hours, read by Kirby Hayborn, sort of a young-voiced guy, and I thought this sounded good. Uh, summary, Lord of the Flies meets War of the Worlds in this post-apocalyptic tale of two teens and a young girl with amazing powers who must stop the alien's mysterious plan. Earth has been conquered by an alien race known as the Assembly. The adult human population is gone, having succumbed to the tone, this capital T, a powerful telekinetic super signal that has reduced them to a state of complete subservience. But the tone has one critical flaw. It only affects those over the age of 20, which means that there is one group left to fight, teens. Holt Hawkins is a bounty hunter, and his current target is Mira Toombs, a treasure seeker who has escaped from Midnight City after being sentenced to death. And and then it goes on and on and on, but um, it sounds actually pretty good. Uh, there's some reviews there, and they uh, say that the writing is good, and that it's got uh, humor and action and danger, and uh, I think the young protagonists make it maybe uh, something more to work look into. You know, YA is fun for a reason. I think it's because the protagonists are not dealing with the same kind of problems that uh, normal protagonists are, hmm. which is uh, stupid relationships. Their the, the relationships are all very simple, generally, right? Well, and I tend to find that YA on audio works really well because the mm-hmm. story tends to be faster paced, and so yeah. I pay more attention, I think. Just mm-hmm. the first person, too, right? Uh, is it first person? I mean, YA is usually are. first person, I think. I don't know if that's true. Um, uh, I don't think... Uh, I think some of... Maybe Heinlein's are all first person. It's hard to say. Mm, I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, I think it often is, though. That makes sense. Uh, what, what was The Hunger Games? Was that first person? Mm-mm. No, I didn't think so. so. No, and like genres that I, I wouldn't normally read, like I don't like to read urban fantasy as a rule, but somehow the YA audio versions 
are really entertaining in audio, so can't mm. really figure it. Okie dokie, and I have one more, which is not really um, a normal book, which is what I thought would make it so interesting. Um, I found it on Audible looking at their new releases, um, and it just came out January, February, March, April. Yep, just came out. Um, It's called Why We Read Fiction, uh, Theory of Mind and the Novel. And uh, it's by Lisa Sunshine, not Sunshine, but Sunshine, so with a Z. Um, and I thought it was just the little sample I listened to was very interesting because what it was talking about was here's a scene from a book. Um, and it said, you know, this character was shaking. And when he said something to somebody he hadn't seen for a long time and uh, and then it said, so why did you, when you heard this or when you read this, why did you think that the that the protagonist was having an emotional response rather than a, uh, why didn't you think she was suffering from some disease, right, like uh, Parkinson's? And I thought that's a, that's a fascinating, um, a fascinating insight. And it's true because we, and just in a little brief description there, it talked about how we do learn these tropes on how to read fiction and how physical descriptions of what's happening to characters gives us insight into the minds of what the characters are doing. The authors put that in there, but barring a, a note saying, you know, early on in the book, this character is suffering from Parkinson's disease, by the way, um, we wouldn't assume that it could be one or the other. We would just assume it was the former. And that insight, I think, along with a bunch of other ones, um, makes it very interesting. So I wanted to read the description here because I think this is a meta book that I I think you guys would be interested in. Um, Originally published by Ohio State University Press. Why We Read Fiction offers a lucid overview of the most exciting areas of research into contemporary cognitive psychology, known as the theory of mind, and discusses its implications for literary studies. It covers a broad range of fictional narratives from Richardson's Clarissa Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment and Austin's Pride and Prejudice to Wolf's Mrs. Dalloway, Nabokov's Lolita, and Hammett's The Maltese Falcon. Sunshine surprisingly... uh, Sunshine's surprising new interpretations of well-known literary texts and popular cultural representations constantly prod her listeners to rethink their own interest in fictional narrative. Written for a general audience, this study provides a jargon-free introduction to the rapidly growing interdisciplinary field known as cognitive approaches to literature and culture. Doesn't that sound fascinating? Yeah, it does. I don't know. I think... um, I think uh, there's a there's one review here, and it's by uh, somebody at the University of Alberta. Sunshine proved beyond a doubt that even the most conservative literary student who just wants a better reading or understanding of a specific novel stands to gain considerably by adopting the cognitive outlook and vocabulary she suggests. I think that just sounds like a fascinating uh, book. I mean, I'd love to see more of that because... What we do see uh, in nonfiction, they tend to be history. There, there, there is not that much. Um, you know, I saw a few years ago on Audible they put out a very important book. I think that people should read called "The Structure of Scientific Revolutions," which is 
uh, sort of a philosophical history of of science and how science works. And it's it's it, it's informed the word paradigm basically came from that book. And it really informs the way you read, I think, when you uh, not read what, the way you look at the world and the nonfiction that can interact and supplement your fiction reading is, I think, really important. We sort of we focus mostly on fiction, right? Science fiction and fantasy, but uh, science fiction is about the world. I don't know what fantasy is about exactly. It's about the mind, maybe. But I, I'm a big fan of nonfiction. <laughs> so, you guys uh, got anything for new releases, outcomings? No, I went through a lot of the stuff. Now that Blackstone is downpour, they mm-hmm. are also combining like Brilliance audios in there now. So mm-hmm. a lot yeah, of those, those titles are in there. Yeah, yeah, everything we've already kind of talked about. Cool. Well, I like to read The Shining Girls, but uh, Jenny's already read it by Lauren Lauren Bukes. Is that coming out on audio too? Um, I assume so. Mm-hmm. But that's not until well, June or so. Yeah, it's mid-June. People in the UK already can get it but not Shining here yet girls, what's that about it's a time travel serial killer novel <laughs> okay it's really Horror different from what she wrote before yeah she wrote um um moxie land and uh what's the other oh. one zoo city right. they're zoo both city. kind of cyberpunk but in south africa like urban south africa yeah she's south african mm-hmm. right that sounds familiar. So she's a fast writer, it seems, then, because those weren't that long ago, were they? Well, they were a couple of years. She used to be a yeah. journalist, so she probably has a high work ethic. Uh-huh. I think mm-hmm. she's, only, she's only written those three novels so far. Mm-hmm. That's coming out June 4th, it says. Just around the corner. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people seem to like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, um, Joe Hill's novel comes out Tuesday, Nosferatu, with a four and a two. Right. I saw that as a new release as well. I keep trying to get the bookstore to like trick trick them into giving it to me early, but they won't. I say this is marked as not sell to this date. And then that's it. At the wait You say I have special dispensation. <laughs> I work for FFF Audio. <laughs> I'm Tomahome. You know who I am? <laughs> Don't you there know? You know? <laughs> Clearly you have not been looking on good cards. We should have business cards. Uh, Scott made some a while ago. I don't tend to use them very much, though. He also made a mug. He made an SFF Audio mug. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Yep. Hi, I'm Jesse. Damn, you screwed that up. <laughs> <laughs> Go one more time. Shh, now, shh.